0: Quality design, state-of-the-art technology from NOCO, your battery care source since 1914. Get yours at GeniusChargers.com Hello automotive enthusiasts. Today I'm really excited to introduce a very special guest, Jeff Braun. Jeff, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? Yeah, green, green, green. Let's go. All right. Jeff Braun is the competition director on the LMP2 cars in the Tudor United States Car Series for Speed Source Engineering and Mazda Racing. He attended his first race at the tender age of three and he started karting at seven. He earned his mechanical engineering degree in 1981 and after going to work to manage the Transact racing team, he purchased the business after only two years and created a race engineering consulting business and Transact Engineering has been a part of almost every kind of race car in the world. He's won seven sports car championships along with the Daytona 24-hour, seven Sebring 12-hours, and four Petit Le Mans. With fellow engineer Paul Haney, Jeff wrote the racing engineering technical book, Inside Racing Technology. So Jeff, I've told our listeners just a little bit about you would you take a moment and share a little bit more about your history, your career, your interest, and, of course, your passion for automobiles that go really fast?
1: Sure. I guess it all started when my dad, he was a car guy, and he owned his own insurance agency, but uh, liked, liked fast cars, and uh, so I kind of grew up going to Road America. We lived maybe an hour south of Road America, so we went up there to watch all the races, and that's how I kind of got involved in the spectator side of racing. My dad taking me up there to watch the June sprints and later the Can-Am series and Trans-Am series and things like that. We were also fortunate enough to live about 30 minutes from still operating and very popular go-kart track in Dousman, Wisconsin. And so one thing led to another and we went out to the go-kart track and suddenly I had a go-kart and my dad was a little rough on me, made me Practice and practice and practice before I could do my first race," he said. And "I needed to be faster than the lap record before I could enter my first race." And, wow! Yeah, I thought that was a little harsh, but uh, <laughs> as a as a seven year old, but um, yeah, I think it turned out really well. We went to the first race and I won it. So uh, there that you go. Pretty much, yeah. That that set the hook. So from there on, it was um, some. Uh, race cars. Uh, we got a Triumph Spitfire, and when I was 16, we went to Canada because you could race uh, when you were 16 in Canada. So we went up there racing and um, had some pretty good success. Did some SCCA racing here when I was 18, and I went to engineering college at the Milwaukee School of Engineering for the sole purpose of you know trying to figure out how to make my race cars go faster. And I graduated from there. Uh, grew up with uh, uh, in karting with a, a childhood friend of mine named Alan Kawicki, who ultimately ended up uh, being a, well, it was a Winston Cup champion at that time. And so Alan and I built some short track race cars for him to drive because he was three years older than me. So we built short track race cars and raced all over Wisconsin um, and Illinois and did a bunch of ASA kind of late model racing. Wow, and yeah, so we we did a bunch of that, and then um, then I was trying to get at about that time, engineering and computers and data acquisition was just starting to get into road racing, and I had my background in mechanical engineering and had used that actually in Texas. For the the one one year period of my life where I wasn't in racing I was in the oil field business and I took a job there because of the computers and the technology that was used to find oil Mm -hmm. um, gave me kind of a leg up and so I was able to use that experience that I had with data acquisition to get my first pure engineering job as an engineering consultant for a Trans Am team
0: nice and
1: yeah and then it just kind of Snowballed from there. I guess I did well enough where people kept on wanting to hire me for bigger and better things, and you know I got to do lots of great things from Indy cars. I think I did Indy 500 seven or eight years, and a lot of sports car stuff. Got to go to Le Mans, and do that with uh, with Team Scandia, and and then it just kept on kept on going more new interesting things. I did a I did two years at two seasons at Top Fuel drag racing. Yeah, so it was, I guess it was a long a long process, and I've, I've pretty much been in racing my entire life, and it's because you know, I, I always tell people I've, I've never really had a real job, and I hope I never do. So.
0: <laughs> well, that's a great story, and you have, I look through your list of clients and your resume, and oh my gosh, you've had your hands on just about everything, so what fun for a car guy to be able to go through his life playing with cars, working real hard on cars, of course. Racing is is a huge challenge, but uh, you're very fortunate. As we continue on your journey, I always like to start with a success quote, and this is a saying that's been instrumental in forming your life and your success, and I always say it's a great way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars, yeah? So, Jeff, take the wheel.
1: Uh, yeah, I think the I think probably yeah, there's a bunch of inspirational quotes, but probably the one that... that I think about often is something my dad is uh, always told me from the time I was little. And it's, it's pretty simple, but he said, you never know until you try.
0: Uh, Yes.
1: And, and that was kind of his theory, you know, try it. And I I would say, well, what do you think would happen if I did this? And he would go try it. You Mm -hmm. never know until you try. And I use that every day. You know, we can be sitting there at a test going, I wonder if a little more camber, well, let's try it. Or I wonder if this, let's, Try it. Let's, you know, always keep pushing the boundaries. Try things that you don't know the answer to. That's the only way they're going to get smarter. So I, I pretty much live that every day.
0: Oh, it's a great quote. Your dad was ahead of his time because it's akin to the Nike quote, just do it. And yes, exactly. In many ways, you know, just give it a try. Just give it a try. And what a great inspiration. It's, it's very nice, too, that it came from your father. That's fantastic. Mm-hmm. I know you, your life around cars started when you were very young, but could you tell me a story that instigated your passion for cars, that pivotal moment in your life when you really knew, okay, I'm a car guy?
1: Uh, it was real early. I remember, well, I probably don't remember it, but I've seen the pictures of it, so I think I remember it. And I remember standing by Dick Thompson's Corvette at Road America when I couldn't have been more than three or four. 4 years old and I got a there's a picture of me doing that. So that was that's how I got started. But the probably the pivotal moment that I that is when we bought a new house in Wisconsin. Actually we were going to look at it. So I was this little 6 7 year old, 6 year old maybe kid and we went to go look at this house and my parents were looking, you know, at whatever you look at, you know, the size of the living room and the And the backyard and all that kind of stuff. And I went into the garage, and there was a go-kart in the garage. Nice. And I was like, holy, man, we need to buy this house. I didn't know. I thought it came with it. Yeah,
0: of course. (laughs) So
1: it was like, let's buy this house, Dad. We got to buy this house. This is cool. And then so we ended up, we did end up buying the house, and I figured out, oh, well, the go-kart doesn't come with it, but, man, can we go check that out? And how do you, you know, how can can I drive and all that kind of stuff? And yeah. So anyway, we ended up ultimately getting involved in karting, but it was that that moment when I saw that go-kart and figured that a, a kid like me could actually go drive like these people that I had been watching at Road America drive, that was when I was hooked.
0: Oh, what fun. <laughs> That's a great story. So Jeff, what I want to do now is take a look at some of the roads you've driven down and crawl under the hood and get our hands a little dirty, something you're not afraid of doing, I know. I'd love for you to share a huge challenge or even a great failure that you faced in your career. The racing industry is fraught with victories and challenges, the agony of defeat if we remember the old ABC-wide world of sports. But more importantly, would you share with me that situation as you overcame it and, more importantly, what you learned from it?
1: I think the, the, probably the big challenge that I had was getting people, getting someone to hire me as an engineer. At at the time, there really weren't, you know, we're talking 82, 83, that kind of uh, area. And there really weren't a lot of engineers, pure engineers in racing, you know. There were at the manufacturer level and Formula One and things like that. But in America, there just wasn't... That much engineering. It was the crew chief. He set up the car. You know, he was the chief mechanic. Mm -hmm. He he knew how to adjust it and what springs to put in it and things like that. And engineering hadn't really come in. So, and I had been doing all of that. I was a decent mechanic, and I could weld and I could fabricate and do all of that. But I wanted to be an engineer and just set up cars and make them go quicker. So, it was getting people to just hire me as an engineer was the kind of the challenge. And I had some really good people helping me, Uh, a great friend of mine, Carol Smith, who probably a lot of people have read his books, all his to win books, you know, Tune to Win, Engineer to Win, all of those.
0: Oh, that Carol Smith. Okay. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. He's a really good friend of mine and he helped me kind of get in to the racing end of things and kind of mentored me, gave me a lot of good advice and things like that. And finally, I ended up with a independent trans am car owner by the name of john brumder from colorado who said come and just make my cars go faster and i was like okay you know work on them wrench them change engines all that no 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 no, i got people for that you just you you know get a data system whatever they are and i'm not really sure what that means or how that works but i know it can make me go faster and you come and just do that
0: ah cool that was my
1: that was my first big big break as just pure engineering and that was the hurdle to get over and once john gave me that opportunity and he went quicker because of it you know the word started to spread and computers started to come into racing and i had kind of a a leg up in that area and it all snowballed from there so that was the challenge and uh, i guess there was no real path to overcome it but i was able to do it with help from some some people that i uh, really appreciate
0: Well, so often it's the people we surround ourselves with that help us become successful. And in your case, you found that out. And you may have answered this next question, but I always like to kind of shift gears and go to the other end of the spectrum and talk a little bit about an aha moment that you had in your career. And this is a time when you realized that your idea or concept really had some merit And hey, I think I'm going to make it at this game. Could you tell us the steps you took to turn your aha moment into a success?
1: Sure. It's it's a moment when I was driving, so I was driving the Triumph Spitfire that was, was our family car, our family race car. <laughs> um, my my dad paid for it, and my my three-year younger brother and I worked on it, and it was, it was my mom, my dad, me, and my brother, and we went to SCCA races all over the country racing the car. And I was the driver, because I had driven carts through my younger years, and I was now whatever 18 years old probably 17 18 racing this car and i remember being under the car at the indianapolis raceway park and we were racing then and i was changing something i don't remember what it was maybe a sway bar or something like that underneath it and all of a sudden the loudspeaker goes off and it's g production to the grid well that was our class and i was like oh darn Oh man, I gotta go drive this thing. I wish I could stay here and work on it. I know I can make it faster if I change this or change <laughs> that and adjust this and uh I was disappointed that I had to go drive it and because somebody had to and I was the only guy.
0: Yeah.
1: And it that was my aha moment. It was like, Look, I can I have more fun figuring out how to make these cars go faster than I do driving them. I should just do that. <laughs> there you and go. And that
0: was kind of it, oh, fantastic. What a wonderful moment to have, and especially laying under a car even better, so
1: yeah, very um, cool.
0: How about proudest business or career moments? I'm sure you've had many, many with all your championships and, and the things you've done, but is there one in particular you could share with me that really stands out?
1: Yes, i and I guess fortunately for me my my proudest business moment also goes to my proudest family moment because. Our business is kind of our family, the family business, I guess, is what it is. So back in the 80s, my dad, he always had this dream about going to the 24 Hours of Daytona. He always wanted to have a car in the, in the race at Daytona in the 24-hour race. Well, he ultimately got in some of his business investors together and put a, a group together where we built a car and we went to Daytona with a, a, a Ferrari-powered Argo, Camel light car, mm-hmm. and he got to live his dream of racing his you know a car that he he had in the 24 Hours of Daytona. Well, then the next year was now the dream became well that was cool, but we want to win this thing.
0: <laughs>
1: well, that didn't happen in his lifetime, and I kept on plugging away at it for 20. Well, this year will be my 26th. 24 Hours of Daytona
0: oh my gosh
1: and so last year we I guess my proudest moment then to, to bring it to it was uh-huh. when my son Colin won the 24 Hours of Daytona
0: oh my and gosh I won
1: it I won it the same day so we both won our class I won the GTD class as the chief strategist and engineer at level five and my son Colin won as a driver for a core autosport and LMPC class
0: oh my gosh that's amazing
1: so that was pretty proud. That was proud for our whole family. I was proud for Colin. I was really, you know, I, it was my dad's dream to somehow win Daytona. And, you know, we kind of did that for him. So.
0: Oh, pretty, pretty yeah, proud. absolutely. And he did win because his son and grandson were winners. So what a great yeah. story. Oh, that's just yeah. fantastic. Let's have a little bit of fun here. Could you share with me your first really special car? And maybe a memory you have with that vehicle?
1: Sure, that uh, I have to say it's going back to the my first special car was that Triumph Spitfire that I first raced when I was 16 years old. It was in 1964, Triumph Spitfire Mark II, that started life as my mom's street car. Oh wow! Yeah, it was her grocery getter, and she went and... <laughs> Your she mom is cool. <laughs> she, was, she was a very cool lady. I mean, she was a racer lady. She she knew, you know, it was whatever it took, and she donated the ultimate uh, example of that. As we said, my dad and I said at one stage, hmm, that would make a really good race car. Yeah. She says, okay, there you go.
0: Oh, Cool.
1: So we stripped it down, turned it into a race car. I went racing with it in Canada and in in the US here and so it was the car that I, I had rebuilt I don't know three or four times, had driven, had worked on all my life and you know, the I guess the cool thing is it sits it still sits in my garage today. It hasn't been fired up for probably 20 years. I haven't started it for 20 years, but it still sits in the garage just as it was the last race I ran it
0: Oh, very I don't cool. know, a
1: long time ago. So that was my sp- first special car. Yeah,
0: I guess so. Wow, fantastic. And I love the fact that you still have it. So this next question is about seller's remorse. And you may not have any because it sounds like you may not let cars go. But is there one car you've had in your past that you've sold that
1: you really wish you could have back in your garage? I'm not. It, it's kind of weird. I'm uh, i 'm a race car guy, but i'm not much of a street car guy mm-hmm. so you know I drive a two thousand ford f three fifty diesel dually pickup truck that's my to me that's the coolest car i got so'm <laughs> I'm, I'm not much of a street car guy, but one car that I really would love to have back is that Ferrari Argo that i built with built for my dad and that we first raced there that was a sweet-looking car. It's a, a JM19 back in the 90s-style sports car, full enclosed sports car with a Ferrari 308 engine in it. Wow. And it still runs in historic races. We sold it. You know, we were thrilled. It was uh, We sold a, a race car for what we had in it, oh, and that almost never happened. That's so a we rare were, one. <laughs> yeah. So it was like, okay, great. We raced it twice at Daytona. Somebody wants to buy it. They'll pay us for pay us what we got in it boof sell that thing yes and now i'm thinking about that i see it at some historic races and i know some people the guy that still got it and i'm like wow maybe i should try to buy that back somehow that thing was so cool so yeah so that's the one i'd like to have back
0: well maybe someday but it's really cool that it's still out there on the track so you can experience it that's pretty special it's not just sitting in a garage or museum somewhere How about current projects? Is there something you're working on right now or maybe something you're planning for 2015 that really has you excited and fired up?
1: For sure. Probably the biggest challenge of my racing career so far is working with the SpeedSource people on our LMP2 Mazda diesel. These cars are state-of-the-art LMP2 race cars, but we're doing it, at Mazda a little bit differently. Um, It has a very small little 2.2-liter twin-turbo four-cylinder diesel engine in it, and we're trying to compete against five-liter Daytona prototypes and established gasoline-powered atmospheric and turbocharged LMP2 cars Mm -hmm. that race at Le Mans. So it's a huge development program. We're doing things that nobody has ever done before. A lot of people are familiar with the Audi diesels that race in LMP1. Oh, yes. Well, we're making more horsepower per liter than those cars make. We're doing, we have higher cylinder pressures. We have a lot of the technical specs on our little diesel far exceed what Audi's doing with theirs. Wow. And so we're pushing, we're pushing the, the limits of physics here, and it's quite a Quite a big project um, with the help of Mazda, and being you know working for Speedsource, trying to trying to make this car competitive is is quite a challenge, and it's real exciting every day. There's something new and different that not only I haven't experienced, but a lot of race engineers in the world haven't experienced. So we're it, it's new boundaries and new new challenges uh, every day.
0: Oh, that must be so exciting for someone who's an engineer like you to be able to play with that. Sounds fascinating. We'll all be keeping our eyes on that to see how well you guys do. Sounds really cool. Thanks. Okay, now here's a fun question for you, Jeff. If you were a car, if Jeff Braun was a car, what kind of car would he be and why? <laughs>
1: uh, probably, again, not you know, I'm, I'm sure you interview a bunch of drivers and they'll have some really cool, you know, I'm a Formula One car, I'm a LMP1 car. Huh? As an engineer, uh, I would probably be a long haul over the road truck. Okay. That's that's what I would be. i just stick it out, keep rolling, keep moving along, keep moving forward. You know, never any big splash or anything, but uh, never give up, just keep, work harder than anybody else, grind it out, and understand what's going on. And I figure that's what a long-haul truck does. It just keeps rolling along producing, and that's yeah. kind of me.
0: Oh, great answer to that question, and that's why I formulated that question because it's really revealing to me how people perceive themselves. And I love it when they're real honest. You know, All of us want to be an F1 car or a sports car or something real jazzy, but I loved your answer. It's great, very honest and very truthful. So, Jeff, up next is what I call the last lap. But before we put the pedal to the metal, here's a free gift for the Cars yeah! listeners. Do you love vintage cars? Then go to CarsYeah.com and get a free copy of the fantastic Filler Up book. It's a full-color ebook filled with fuel filler fun with over 60 color photographs of vintage cars plus inspirational quotes from some of the most famous automotive enthusiasts of all time. Simply go to CarsYeah.com and click on the free book button on the homepage. Download your free filler-up book today at Cars Yeah. Okay, Jeff, we're back and we're entering the last lap. You're a racer, you know what that means. The white flag is out, time to put the pedal down, and this is where I'm going to fire off a series of questions, and you're going to give our listeners some very quick blips of the throttle answers. So are you ready?
1: I'm ready. Here
0: we go. What's the best automotive advice you've ever received?
1: Probably to do the free things well. <laughs> so many teams get caught up and people get caught up in, i got to have a budget and I don't have enough money and all of that. But most teams miss the free things. Yep. You know, yeah. Practicing your pit stops, practicing your driver changes, doing those kind of things that don't increase your budget but uh, really set the difference between winning and losing much more than budgets do.
0: Oh, great advice. Could you share one of your personal habits that you believe has contributed to your successes?
1: Just keep working at it. Just keep, you know, always always look for what's next. Always be intrigued. Never just go past, you know, find something that works and just try to, try to understand why it works. Always be inquisitive. I think that's probably been the, the thing because you always get smarter that way.
0: Yeah, perfect. How about resources? Is there one in particular that you could share with our listeners that you're really fond of? Maybe it's a website that you visit, or maybe it's a blog that you get.
1: I would say, initially starting out, oh, any Carol Smith book. Any of those books have been fantastic. Uh, I've, You know, it's it's amazing how I'll, I'll go back and kind of browse through there again, and I, I still learn things from, from those books that Carol Smith wrote. From a driving standpoint, anything Ross Bentley's Written, in hmm. secrets. Yeah,
0: Ross has been on cars. Yeah,
1: uh, yeah, he's a good friend of mine, and we've worked together a lot. And that whole interaction between engineer, driver, coach, and driver is really important. And and even if you're an engineer, to understand what the drivers are going through and what they what they're working on, Ross's books really really help that. So as an engineer, I've learned a lot reading those driver books, websites. Well, I'm a sports car guy right now, and so the coolest, best website is sportscar365.com, which is um, done by a guy by the name of John DeGees, who's become a friend, great resource up-to-date, instant news on what's going on, so that's a a great website. So another great resource for me, is, as funny as it seems, is Twitter. It's a really good source for news, Um, I can find things out that'll help me and keep keep abreast of what's going on, uh, just track all the all the racing people and manufacturers and teams and things like that. And it's probably one of the best sources for up-to-date news. Even when races are going on, um, I'll use it during races. I'll, I'll have it on during the 24 hours of Daytona, and, and it's amazing what my competition will tweet about what they're doing.
0: And, <laughs> now know, the I secret's out. That.
1: Yes. <laughs>
0: Yeah, they're going to stop doing that now. (laughs) Yeah. That's great. Well, I'll remind our listeners that you can find all these great resources at carsyad.com slash Jeff Braun. And Jeff's last name is B-R-A-U-N. All right, Jeff, we're up to what I call the checkered flag. This last question can be a real doozy for some people. If you could only have one collector car in your garage, but money's no object, I'll buy you whatever you'd like today, what would that one vehicle be and why?
1: easy one for me. Um, <laughs> I'd, I'd take the 1967 Gurney Eagle F1 car.
0: Oh, yes. Oh, what a beautiful car. And what is it about that car that tugs on your heartstrings?
1: I was fortunate enough at, at, in 1967 to win a contest that All-American Racers, which was Dan Gurney's race team, had. Uh-huh. And the contest was to get to go to a Formula One race as his guest. So the contest was whoever could sell the most memberships to the Eagle Club got to go to Watkins Glen and be a guest of Dan Gurney's at the Formula One race.
0: Oh, wow.
1: Well, my brother and I sold and sold and sold and, you know, whatever we could do to win that contest, and we ended up winning. Got to go with our parents, obviously, to Watkins Glen and meet Dan Gurney and be a Guest to his, and sit in the Formula One car, and you know those were the days when you could buy a, a paddock pass and go right up in the garage garage area and stand right next to all these Formula One cars, and and so that car has has always kind of had a special place in my in my heart, and it was a, a beautiful car with the way the nose looked like an eagle's beak, and you know it just uh, I would that is a piece of art, and I would have that in my in my house. I wouldn't keep it in my garage. It would probably be in my living
0: room. <laughs> That's great. It's a beautiful car, and Dan Gurney is such an awesome guy, too. What a wonderful opportunity you had to spend that, that day with him. Gosh, uh, dreams come true. Yes. Well, Jeff, you've taken me on a great ride today, and I've really enjoyed your stories, and I want to thank you for sharing your journey with the Cars Yeah listeners and with me. Would you give us one parting piece of guidance before you drive off into the sunset in that Gurney Eagle?
1: I would say just have, have fun. Racing is a great, uh, a great sport. It's a great hobby. It's a great business. So my advice would be if you can be involved in racing in any aspect, just enjoy it. It's, uh, it's always changing, and the memories that you can build and have will be lasting like they have been for me for my entire life.
0: Absolutely. And what's the best way for our listeners to learn more about you and your company and what you're doing?
1: Well, I'm um, on Twitter as JV, as in Victor, my middle name, Brown, B-R-A-U-N, and that's a, um, that's my Twitter handle, I guess. Mm-hmm. And the other thing I've been doing is on Facebook, I have a page there called Auto Racing Tech Tips, and I try to do something for fans. It's not for the engineer. It's technical tidbits on auto racing from myself to the fans to so they can understand what us engineers are doing and trying to take some of these technical things that are going on in racing and make them understandable and simple and fun for the fans. So that's on Facebook at Auto Racing Tech Tips.
0: Okay. Awesome. Well listeners, you can find links to everything Jeff has shared with us today at carsyad.com slash Jeff Braun. Jeff, thank you again for being so generous today with your time and your expertise and for sharing your wonderful experiences with me and the listeners We'll <laughs> be